welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your host, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. Hello, everybody. Welcome back again to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Uh, Friday episode this time uh, again with Paul. Hey, Paul. Hey, Alvar. How's it going? Amazing. So uh, actually, last Tuesday, uh, we left off with Paul's move over to Spain. We covered his entire, well, a, a big portion of his life story together with his partner. And we just felt, you know, we, we had covered the 40 minutes and we really have to like at least cover his move to Spain, how he came to it. Just as a topic on itself, how do you move from, you know, country one to country to do it in the cheapest way, organize yourself there and, you know, combine it with moving with four kids, language you speak, but, you know, still in a highly different country. I think that makes for a great episode on itself as well. So just to get started, Paul, can you set the scene and explain to us, um, you know, before you move to Spain, you guys were thinking about, you know, where are we going to go? Uh, what are the pros and cons? How did that process look like to, you know, pick Spain in the end? Sure. So we knew sort of early this year that we would be leaving Zambia in, in April. And we knew that we wanted to spend a little bit of time with family who are mostly in the UK. So we, we came back to the UK. We spent time with each family. My wife's family had a holiday in France. So we went off to France for, for a couple of weeks and, and hung out there. And through all of this, we had kind of pinned down that, that Spain was a place that, that we wanted to go to for, for at least a year, to spend a year there. And the reason for a year was so that when we put our kids into school, that they wouldn't be as disrupted. So the, the school years in Zambia run with calendar years. So our eldest, who was in second grade in Zambia, had come to the end of her school year in December last year. And then we had homeschooled her for the first six months of, of this year. And the, the younger three, our, our three sons, are all still in preschool. So they were a little bit more flexible in, in that regard. So we wanted to, for just for a bit of stability, to make sure that we weren't jumping around too much. And we wanted to give our kids all at least one year in the same school. And so that's why we kind of committed to, to moving to a country. In this case, we thought Spain was a place for at least for the school year, which would have been September this year through, through June of next year. Spain was was top of their priority list for me from a, a slightly selfish perspective, Alvar, because I speak Spanish and I wanted to practice it a little bit and try and, you know, the last time I had spoken Spanish to any level was like 20 years before when, when I used to live in Latin America as a kid. So I wanted to try and bring that back up to scratch. And Spain was attractive to us from a weather perspective when you compare it to Scotland and the amount of rain that we get in Scotland. And, you know, Spanish food is, is not something that um, you turn down lightly as well. You know, they've got some excellent cured meats. And our kids are already, after our two or three months, know the difference between chorizo and jamón and salami. And, you know, my, my mom tried to give my, my son salami when he asked for chorizo. And my three-year-old was not happy that he was being handed salami and not chorizo. So they're learning some of these things very quickly. <laughs> But <laughs> I guess second to Spanish food. <laughs> it's now nah, it, it's honestly of countries I've been Portugal. It, it's they, they have seriously high quality foods um, in Spain, which uh, not to offend everybody, but not much in the UK can compete what I've had in Spain food wise. So are you dissing the the haggis, neeps, and tatties that you get in Scotland, Alvar? Because I, I hope you're not doing that. Because that's actually a pretty good Scottish food. <laughs> <laughs> No, fair enough. If we're talking about foods, no, let's not do that because then we go too far off topic. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Well, 
Yeah. So we've just had a scene uh, where you're standing in your reasons. Why pick Spain? Because, you know, you mentioned in our episode one, you know, that Spain is a lot cheaper than Scotland. But, you know, if I, li I live myself in Scotland and while traveling to Spain, it didn't seem that cheap. Lots of things seem quite expensive. Is Spain generally that much cheaper for yourself and your family? Before we settled fully in Spain, my, my wife and I had a, a two-day trip across to Spain in April. I had, as most people who are probably listening to the spreadsheet can relate to, I'd obviously come up with a spreadsheet to try and figure out which country, and then once I'd narrowed it down to Spain, which area in Spain that we're going to live in, and it covered the normal things like the relative cost of living in each area. And I'd, I'd seen some some articles that talked about each, so I'd kind of assigned each a score based on that. I looked at the weather, and I looked at you know food, and I looked at you know one thing that was really important to us is we wanted to to live somewhere that was authentically Spain and not just in a a British resort on a Spanish coast somewhere. So I kind of narrowed it down to a few areas. We I was staying away from from Barcelona, the Barcelona area, not just because of high cost of living, but also it's Catalan is. <laughs> more the predominant language there. And I wanted something that was a bit more authentically Spanish. So I'd obviously narrowed it down to, to one area. My wife and I went to this Mercia region back in April for a couple of days to, to do a little bit of exploring, to see what we thought, to see if it just, if it felt right. And whilst Spain felt great, the, the Mercia region just didn't quite feel right to us. You know, it's, it was, there were some beautiful cities there. You know, we were in Cartagena for, for a day and that was an amazing city. But when we came back and we were talking about it, it just didn't kind of, you know, it didn't fire our souls or whatever. It just something wasn't quite there. And to top that off, we were then struggling to find any longer term accommodation as we were searching on the Internet to try and find something. Our plan had been to to come back to Spain with all of our kids for, for one month in, in May and June, just to see whether they enjoyed it and to do a little bit more research before we then make a sort of final decision on Spain. And we couldn't find anything in this Mercia region that's, you know, an Airbnb or whatever for, for four weeks that, that we wanted to come. So I started looking a bit further afield and, you know, started looking in Malaga, Granada area. And we found this beautiful village um, up in the Andalusian hills, sort of halfway between Granada and, and Malaga. And they had these rental properties available for, I think they were on Airbnb. And they weren't that expensive. I think we paid like 1,200 euros to hire out a, a three-bedroom place on Airbnb in these this amazing-looking village on the side of a cliff kind of thing. And so we went there, and we discovered that we loved this Andalusia region. We'd spent a bit of time in both Malaga and Granada as, as part of that. And the thing that we realized with four young kids is that although these little mountain villages look beautiful and are very you know peaceful and tranquil to be in, there's not an awful lot of other kids in them. They tend to be the residents tend to be somewhat older and like our kids would get harassed by all the, the little old grannies in the village who wanted to see kids and hug kids and stuff like that, which I'm not quite sure if our kids entirely enjoyed that. But I think the thing that was the bigger issue for them is there was no other kids around to play with. And in terms of schooling and that, there was there's no schools in these areas. There's no even daycares in these these little villages, certainly the one that we were staying in. And then as we started to think ahead to, to school, my wife started um, doing a little bit of research on schools that would be available in the region. And she came across this, this Montessori school in, in Granada, which if you don't know the Montessori system, it's, it's a little bit less traditional than normal teaching where you sit in front of a teacher who, who teaches you. 
in, in a Montessori school, for instance, the teachers are called guides because it's, it's all about um, student-led learning. You try and get the kids to almost self-direct what they want to study. And you try and, and if they show an interest in a certain thing, you try and, and let them take that on and, and kind of develop their own learning, if you like. So that's if they're interested in enjoying their learning, they're, they're likely to, to learn more. And the school is a bilingual school. So we thought that that would work a little bit better with, with our kids. You know, every kid is, is a little bit different. And we certainly know that with, with four of them. And for at least a couple of our kids, we felt that uh, a bilingual school just might suit them a little bit better in, in terms of helping them to settle in, having left Zambia. And it says they were starting to miss some friends and things a little bit. And it, it felt like a, an easier way to to get them to input into Spanish life, to, to have a school that was bilingual where there would be other kids who would learn, who would be able to, to speak English to them. And then based on that, we then started looking for accommodation. We were very fortunate that we were able to find a house very close to the school within walking distance. And I guess this is where I kind of get back to your, your cost of living question, Alvar. And so that in, in Scotland, our house that we had owned there, we were, it was a I think a four-bedroom house. It was very standard house in the in the suburbs kind of thing. We were renting that out for roughly a thousand pounds a month to our tenants, and the tenant is then responsible for the the local taxes or the the property taxes in in the UK. I know that that's not the case everywhere. So the the cost of living in that house from a, a rent stroke council tax perspective was something like twelve hundred pounds a month, twelve thirteen hundred pounds a month. We've got this house that's not a, a dissimilar size in in Granada. And we are paying 800 euros a month for it. So there, there's a huge difference in, in cost there. We are finding that groceries are, I would say, 25 to 30% cheaper than in, in the UK. And then there's a number of other costs that I say are, are very comparable, like the cost of buying petrol is similar to the UK. The cost of heating, internet, those things seem to be broadly similar to the UK. So it's really the cost of food. And I would say particularly eating out. Eating out is, is pretty cheap in Spain as well, but so far what we find but the cost of rent was uh, the big thing for us. That's aside from school costs. That's our biggest expense is is our rent, and that's you know what 30, 40 percent cheaper than it, it was in the UK. In terms of our big cost, then though, the one thing which makes Spain a little less a little less frugal for us than it otherwise would be is if our kids were in a state school, then there is no cost. Um, but because they're going to a private school, that is a a much bigger. That's our our biggest mill now, and we did think long and hard about this decision and ultimately we we had toyed with maybe just putting our youngest two in and then we would homeschool the older two whenever you've got three-year-old twins running around you just can't get anything done so the, the thought of homeschooling all four or trying to homeschool our older two with the our twin terrors running around was just not going to happen so we thought we have to do something for them so we spoke to the school they had a few places left before the school year started and we highlighted to them that, you know, cost was a little bit of a factor for us. They were keen to get us in from a couple of perspectives. One, they obviously wanted to fill their spaces, but also the fact that our kids were native English speakers. They thought that that would help pretty much all of the rest of the students are, are Spanish kids looking to try and learn English. So they thought having a native English or having native English speakers would help them. So they were trying to sell the school to us a little bit. And we talked a little bit about how we could be involved, how we could kind of come to an arrangement on fees that didn't bankrupt us and but still gave them enough to to cover some of their costs. So ultimately my wife who is an engineer is now teaching a, a STEAM class, so science, technology, engineering, arts, whatever, and math, I think. So she teaches a STEAM club once a, a week at the school. 
for an hour. And, and I helped them with their finances. So they had no sort of finance person on their staff. And they were a little worried about not knowing what they should be doing with finance processes and with how they report taxes or how they just do a number of things, how they run the business from a financial from the financial side. So I've been involved in that. And in doing that, they were able to give us a, a fairly big discount on, on what we pay. And I think I saw that kind of as a, a double benefit for me. One is it's obviously nicer not to have to pay full price. So it's nice to get a big discount. But the other thing that, that's helpful for me is, you know, one of the questions I get asked about the sabbatical years, am I not worried about trying to get back into the workforce in a year? Would that not, does that not make me nervous? You know, I'm going to have this gap on my CV or my resume. You know, future employers might wonder what I've been doing. But I think that's helping out organizations where I'm still getting to practice my Spanish skills. And, you know, I can now put in my, my CV that I'm effectively assisting the school with their finances or I'm effectively looking after their finances. So I can add that to my CV. And I think there's enough of a, a wider story to, to add to our CVs to to demonstrate that our year in Spain would be worth it to a future employer in terms of, you know, brushing up in the second language, involved in a different culture. And I think there's enough there that you can sell the fact that this year has not been a wasted year, but it's actually been a year that might that might actually benefit a future employer. So I think that was one of the other big selling points to me of just being involved in, in the finances. And I think one of the things that's yeah, I guess I wasn't quite aware of, and my, my wife is probably, she pointed it out in that article you f- referred to about, you know, 10, you know, 10 things one year on for the reluctant Chautauquan. She highlighted that she feels that mentally I'm a little bit more present now with the kids. So I think when you're working full-time, Alvar, and you're working in jobs that are maybe, you know, fairly full-on, you're having to work quite hard, you're having to give a lot of mental energy to them. You never really switch off when you come home. It's always... You're always kind of mulling over problems in the back of your head, you know, even when the kids are trying to to jump all over you. You've probably got some thoughts that are thinking about that that spreadsheet that you had to finish early at work or, you know, payments you need to make tomorrow or, or whatever it happens to be. So being able to, to switch off completely has been great for the last last few months. And I feel like mentally recharged in some ways. And getting back into helping the school over the last few weeks has been has been pretty cool because I it's nice to know that the the career that you've chosen, you actually really enjoy it. And so I was I was really getting into to meeting, you know, sitting down with the directors of the company just a couple of days ago. We had a three-hour meeting to talk about, you know, what the next year could look like and talk about budgets and and how we could change their operations a little bit to make them more efficient. And that stuff was it was really cool to get back into that. So I think even just from a, a mentally challenging perspective, it's nice to have nice to have these other little projects. And it's also nice that I can walk away after, you know, I help them out, you know, two or three days a month, and then I, I can walk away from that. And it's nice not to be so, so involved day to day that it eats up all your mental energy and bandwidth, but I'm still involved enough to to do some of the cool things that I enjoy doing in the, in the finance world. So, so that's been pretty cool. But you're a great uh, storyteller yourself. So just the question itself, you know, a cost of living from a cost of living perspective you elaborate on that amazingly and i just find it inspiring like how you guys go from a certain situation move over how you assess it what you because you know you're deciding about the lives of six people when you make this choice how to do it how not to do it uh what you're all taking in consideration and yeah i think it's pretty cool um i guess you know that and yet, I hope it just answers for listeners the question, if you yourself want to move to another country, what do you take in consideration? What do you do? Obviously, everybody's situation is different, um, either kids, partner, or you know, just by yourself. But the process stays the same. 
so much comes in consideration with it. Cost of living, where do you stay? What do you do? Do you go to school? Do you still get a job? Um, and that process, I mean, I've done it now a number of times myself. And I think for everybody, just listening to your own story, it is inspiring. And I hope uh, a number of things she also mentioned help for um, as good tips and what to do and what not to do. That's very kind of you to say, Albert. And honestly, if, if I'm screwing anything of this up, please tell me. I'm quite happy to. I want to learn through this process. So if there's things that I can be better at, you know, please be brutally honest. And at the very least, Albert, tell me one thing I could improve on for next time, you know, because I know I've not been perfect. So that would be great to know as well. And I definitely. And if any listeners hear uh, Paul's story, I'm like, hey, you know, you know, why haven't you done X, Y, Z? Or are you aware of this Spanish tax law that you could utilize? Um, please uh, let us know, uh, because I think we are all interested in Spain in general as you know, a good place to either spend a portion of our lives, because it is an amazing country. But I have to slowly wrap it up, and also as promised, because normally uh, in the main Tuesday episodes, we cover uh, the final questions, and we haven't done that this time. Well, last Tuesday, and I don't, um, you know, I, I still want to give um, listeners the chance to listen to Paul's uh, tips, what to do, what not to do, and uh, what to, uh, and where to find amazing information. So, Paul, just to get started, uh, if people want to learn more about yourself, where can they find you? So my wife and I blog at a site called cuttingthroughchaos.com. And that's, I guess, inspired by the fact that we have four little children running around causing incredible levels of chaos. And we are somehow trying to cut through that, though largely unsuccessfully, I would say. We make some small wins every now and then, but it's, it's not an entire, entirely successful story. You know, as you can see from some of the, the things that we blog about, we are not quite as consistent as Alvar and his team are in this, this podcast, I must admit. And one of the hopes I had had when we moved to Spain is that, you know, I had all this long list of things I wanted to do. I want to be very punctual on our, our podcast, or sorry, on our, our blog. I want to write lots of things. I had this huge list of things to do. And I guess one suggestion I would have whenever you do, if you get the chance to take a sabbatical, is, is to go easy on yourself. The first few months, I think that you probably have unrealistically high expectations of all of the work that you're going to be able to do, all these things you're going to be able to take off your to-do list. That hasn't quite happened for us, and I am slowly sort of getting to the fact where I'm accepting that and also seeing that some of that is because we've had some other benefits. So, you know, since we moved to Spain full time in September, we've been there sort of three and a half months. I think we've had visitors for six weeks of that, and that has an impact on some of the other things you can you can do. But it's also helped us to realize that we actually really enjoy catching up with people. You know, living in Zambia, we got a lot less visitors than, than we are getting here. <laughs> And we just enjoy catching up with people. And I think whenever you have people staying with you, you get a chance to really, in the evenings when kids are in bed, have proper conversations to really find out what's going on with them and to, to really connect, which you don't always do. And it was, you know, it was great, Alvar, to, to see you and, and your wife to meet, sorry, to meet your partner. You guys obviously didn't stay for six weeks, um, but it was nice just to catch up over breakfast over some, some excellent churros and, and chocolate. So it's been really good. I think that's been one of the sort of my highlights, an unexpected highlight is you have this free time to, to meet up with people. And so I'm, I'm beating myself up a little bit less about not having done everything on my to-do list because, you know, there are things that you need to do as you settle into to Spain longer term and trying to get residency and, and some of these other things that, that just take time to set up. And I'm looking forward to going back in January. We're currently in the UK for, for Christmas with family. So I'm looking forward to getting back and diving into my to-do list. Although, I will happily put that off for, for any visitors that come to see us. Anyway, back to your question, Alvar. Cutting Through Chaos is where we blog, cuttingthroughchaos.com. 
And we also have a, you can find us on Twitter at Cutting Chaos, or you can email us on cuttingchaos at gmail.com. And we respond to everything, largely because very few people ever get in touch. But again, um, it, it's not about how big your blog is or whatever. The, the story you're running your, yourself, we met up over here for a coffee in Edinburgh um, a couple of months back and you know, a month back in Spain. And I enjoyed those conversations. And in the end, it's about being inspired and learn from each other. But anyway, jumping on to the next one. Um, Paul, what is one resource not well known that you would recommend others to check out? This can be anything from one of your own articles to a podcast or just a specific person. You're like, hey, go and check this person out. They are amazing and uh, you can learn a lot from them. So I've already mentioned Millionaire Expat Bandra Hallam. I think if you're an expat, that's a great place to, to go and look. For other things, a couple others I would mention. I know you said one, but sorry, Alvar, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two. I think if you're in in the UK, you might have heard of the Meaningful Money podcast by Pete Matthew. I think Pete is exceptionally great as a podcaster. He takes um, quite dull at times financial, personal finance type stuff, and he makes it really interesting, both in terms of explaining it and also highlighting the the actions that you need to take to actually make some progress. And although he is UK-based and some of the, the products he talks about are, are UK-specific, I think that there's some great messages in there overall. So I think that's that's great. And I know he's got a, an interview with, with Jim Collins coming up in the new year, so I think I'm looking forward to that. The other one I would highlight, and this is not going to be a, a not well-known for very long, is Gillian Johnsrud, who blogs at Montana Money Adventures. She is... I think she's probably the, if I had to pick one person who sums up Fi, I think it would probably be her. She's somebody who is not just looking at this end point and calculating the days till she hits Fi. She's financially independent already. But she really focuses on on the, the journey getting there. That's half of our battle is, is making sure that we're designing a life, even today as we're pursuing financial independence, that reflects our values and is is reflective of the lives we want to live once we become financially independent you know if you are a generous person now you're going to be a generous person when you're financially independent if you're a happy person now you're going to be happy in finance when you're financially independent if you're not happy now then chances are you're not going to be happy when you're financially independent either so she really explores the i guess the some of the the softer issues around how do you design a life that you really want to live and she's not going to be not well known for much longer she's pretty well known in the states but i think she is in January launching a, a second podcast with Choose FI. She's going to be the host of that. And I think once that takes off, this is this is actually a podcast that even my wife, who hates financial stuff, she'll she'll listen to because Jillian's the type of person that she'll resonate with. You know, Jillian's got an incredible backstory. She's got four adopted kids, or she's adopted four kids. She's got a couple of her own. She's living in, you know, the in rural Montana and it just love it looks like she loves life and I think that comes through anytime you interact with her. So she would be my my other person. Nice one. And I can also definitely second to Meaningful Money podcast because it might be a UK based podcast, but the general lessons I've listened to probably 70, 80 episodes now myself. Um, it's one of the longest running uh, money podcasts within Europe. Uh, I have no idea how long he's been going on, but easily like five, six years. Um, yeah, definitely second that one um, in terms of checking out. And then the last question uh, of the day, Paul, uh, the number one actionable tip for somebody to get started on the path to five. So what is the one thing you would recommend people to do? Please do X, Y, Z, because it will really supercharge your five journey. So I had a friend ask me this like two weeks ago. So it was kind of 
funny that this question comes up again. So he was new to financial independence and saying, well, you know, what on earth do I do? So again, there's, I'm not going to give you just one thing, however, there, there's a couple of things um, that you can work on simultaneously. So one is just trying to to figure out with your partner, if, if you've got a partner, what your your why of why is. Like, why why are you going to stri- try and, and strive to, to get to this point where you are financially independent? Because you know it takes some work and it takes some sacrifices. It's, it's definitely not a life of deprivation, but you have to make at times what feel like countercultural choices. And you have to do that for a significant period of time. You, you know, even if you've got a 50% savings rate, it could take you the best part of 20 years to get there. So this is not something you can decide and and then just kind of knock it off in, in a couple of weeks. And if you don't have a, a why or the sort of reason why you're doing this, then it could be very easy to sort of fall off the wagon, as, as it were, and and just go back to living a normal, normal life. So figuring that out, and that's not a like a five-minute conversation with your, your significant other. That's something that you probably talk about a number of times and will develop over time and it will change over time as well. So figuring that out and alongside that, I guess the more practical tip, um, Alvar, which is probably the same tip that, that everyone gives you, is just figure out where you are today. And that's two things. One is what's your net assets? How much are your your assets? How much are your liabilities? And and just what's your net position? And then secondly, how much are you spending today? You know, what's what does your life cost these days? And you can look at, say, three months worth of expenses, work out what you're spending your money on, try and figure out if they're the way that you spend your money is reflective of your values. And, and if not, start to, to work on cutting back in some of the areas where you are spending more than more than what you value those those things that you're spending money on. Nice one. Paul, I think that's definitely valuable advice. Um, everybody if you, uh, who's listening, if you've got your own advice or something you would like to share, give a shout in the Facebook group. Let us know. Anyway, let's round up the episode. Paul, thank you so much for coming on for a second time and hope to see you soon again in Granada, Spain. Absolutely, Alvaro. I look forward to it. I don't think I've had churros since you guys were there, so you got to come back so I get, can get some more churros. <laughs> Deal. Paul, see ya. Take care, bye. This episode is sponsored by Mintos, and Mintos is the largest peer-to-peer marketplace for European investors and offers a big selection of loans worldwide with regular returns of up to 12% per annum. And FI Europe listeners get 0.5% cashback bonus on their initial deposits. Head over to financial-independence.eu Mintos for more information. And the link will also appear in the show notes. Please note, we are no financial advisors, so please do your own research. And by using the referral link, you will also support us to cover the costs of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.